Good, good. Keith, I'm just doing the Isaiah text today. So from the fifth chapter of Isaiah, this is part of a much longer narrative that the prophet gives us. We get today the part that is all about judgment. God is very disappointed with the people of Israel and Judah and basically lets them have it. Um, but throughout the next probably 19 chapter, no, not 19, 15 chapters, um, the relationship is spelled out again and re- reborn and revisited, and God continues God's promises to his beloved people. So here's how it starts, though. Let me sing for my beloved my love song. Concerning his vineyard, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and the people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge... And it shall be devoured, and I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. And I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and shall not be overgrown with briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. 
For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, and heard a cry. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's back up and talk about what's happening here. First, this is, in literary terms, described as a courtroom scene where the people are asked to judge between the vintner, the one who owns the vineyard, and the vineyard itself. It's a very strange thing to think of the owner of a vineyard suing his very vineyard, but that's what's happening here. In this sort of parable. In this parable where God is talking about the disappointments that God has in the people. And we all have disappointments. It's not hard for us to understand that. But it is a little strange to understand the disappointment that this gardener feels. Or is it? As we read this text, we see that the vintner has done everything right. Removed the rocks, tended the soil, found fertile ground, planted the choicest vines. He built a watchtower to make sure that it would not be overrun. And he even put a wine vat in the middle of it. Went to the trouble of the labor and the hard work to put the vat right in the middle. He's done all that he possibly could do to get sweet grapes for wine, the best fruit possible, And all he gets in return is actually disappointment. In the parable, the vintner now turns to us and says, What more could I have done? When I expected it to yield good grapes and it yielded wild ones, why is that? Now, to be clear, we get a hint here in what is wrong. Just a hint, though. But we get that hint. And if you read even further into the fifth chapter of Isaiah, you really understand what's happening. What's happening here is when it talks about tearing down the fences and opening up the fields later, what's happening is that the property boundaries that were established for the vintners all around the area are being removed. And a problem with so that their vineyards can mesh together. And in our culture, we miss what that means. Because what that means is that the places in between that were supposed to be the places for the poor to live and grow and be able to glean the leftovers are gone.
They're a little like the city of Wheeling. Who says to their homeless, live over here. Whoops, no, you can't live over here. Don't live. You understand that we do that with the homeless in this city. We tell them to go live one place and then we don't like that they're there and then we eliminate that place and they have no other place. It's very difficult to live when they say don't live here but don't tell you where you can live. That's what's happening in this text and God is ticked off. Because the people of Israel and Judah are not taking care of the poor as they are commanded. The laws of the people of Israel and Judah are designed to remember that they were once strangers in a strange land, living in poverty and slavery, and that their mandate is to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the resident alien, the homeless poor. And they're not doing it. And now God is saying, why is that? You know better. I raised you better. Come on, you got to do better than this. We get to the end of this particular text. And there's this big play on words. This is the only time in the history of my life when I was glad that I was required to take Hebrew. That's funny. But at the end of this text, it says that God expected justice, which is mizpot. Mizpot is the way the world in Hebrew is the way the world is supposed to be. It's the shalom. It's the justice. It's the utopia that we're supposed to have. He says, God expected Mizpah, expected judgment, but instead got Mizpah, bloodshed. It's not the way the world is supposed to be. God expected righteousness, Zedakah, but instead got Zedakah, a cry. People have not done what God raised them up to do. God's generous provision. Anna Case Winters, one of my favorite theologians, beautiful, beautiful woman, very smart, very, very compassionate, wrote this. God's generous provision is met with ingratitude. Good is given and evil is returned. The initiatives of love have every reason to expect a response of love, but the response is contempt. The form that contempt of divine love takes is injustice. The love of God and the love of neighbor are inextricably intertwined. So also, contempt for one issues in contempt for the other. This is the primary message of all the prophets, all your worship, all your everything, all your good deeds don't mean a darn thing if you ain't living right. If you ain't living 
God's justice. Now, this is a harsh message. If I left you here today, I would feel bad. Although, that's where the text leaves us today. We have to go on into the next few chapters to get anything redeeming out of this, but it happens. Here in this text, God says, that's it, I'm done with you. You won't listen to me, you won't do what I say. It's over. Later, God says, no, you're my people. I promised you that you would be my people. And you always will be. Those of you who are parents, can you get this? Uh, Sue isn't here today. She's at a dog show. She was talking to me about yesterday. She sat beside me at the funeral and she said, we were talking about we were talking about dogs getting hit by a car and she said to me, you know, Seth got hit by a car once. I said, I didn't know that. She said, yeah, he was, he was driving this way and he went this way and he got hit by a car. He was 14. They took you. He was not where he was supposed to be. They were getting ready to go on vacation. He was supposed to be at home at whatever time he was getting hit by this car. And she was really ticked off at him because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And before she knew he'd gotten hit by the car, she was really mad because he was not where he belonged. Parents, is this sounding familiar at all? And so she said, I went into the emergency room and he had all these tubes coming out of him and all this stuff going on. And she said to the doctor, is he going to live? And the doctor said, yes. And she said, good, because I'm going to kill him. Right? Parents, you know this. You raise your kid. I, I know a parent in this church whose child is a young adult in college, and he literally said to her, Mom, you've raised me right. I know what to do, and someday I will do it. Right? I mean, that's it. This is, what God, this is the kind of thing that God is expressing in this text. I've raised you up right, and you're still not doing it. What is wrong with you people? That you can't take care of the poor even yet. To be a little more serious, I had a friend who was a Native American woman. We worked on things nationally with Presbyterian women for a while. And she stood up and gave essentially a testimony in one of our meetings. And she said, You know, this month, I have one son who is graduating with his PhD from MIT. And everybody went, yay. And she said, and I have one son who is entering federal prison on a 20-year sentence. I promise you those children were raised in exactly the same way. And yet the results were dramatically different. 
God is telling us what to do. The choice is ours in how to do it and what we, how we will respond. Recently, it's occurred to me that, you know, God has a lot of faith in us. Probably much more than we deserve. God has expectations of us in this text three or four times. The word, I expect this, happens. God expects great things from us because God wants great things for us. If we choose not to do them, there are consequences. And that's what this walks us through. But wouldn't it be remarkable if we could respond in kind to the faith that God puts in us? So God says, tend your vineyard. What's your vineyard? How you raise your children? How you care for the homeless poor? How you tend to your marriage? How you manage your finances? How you live in peace and harmony with those around you? God says, I have faith in you. What will you do with it? Hmm. That's all.